I learned uh, something a few years ago about cemeteries. There is a, a massive amount of cemeteries that are either uh, church-owned or groups-owned cemeteries in our community. And most of those cemeteries are kept up by churches or by communities, individuals, families. But there are a few cemeteries that are kept up by the cemetery themselves. When you buy the plot, that's a part of your money you pay is for somebody to take care of the cemetery. And it's called a perpetual care cemetery. According to, to what I understand, that means somebody has said, we will provide and funds are set aside with the state to make sure somebody does continue everlasting. It's a covenant that you make with the people that buy those plots, that you're always going to keep that grass cut and take care of it. Well, God made a perpetual covenant with Israel in Isaiah 54. It's an everlasting covenant. Part of that covenant has been fulfilled. Part of it is being fulfilled, and part of it will be fulfilled in generations to come or in days to come whenever that great tribulation takes place and the Millennium Kingdom starts. But I got to noticing something in the scriptures as I read them this week because not only is it a perpetual covenant with Israel, but also there is a, a part of this that you have to understand that it's a heritage of the righteous. See, we read Isaiah 53. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes. We are healed. We read that most uh, communion Sundays. And we all take that as a part of, of a promise that God's made to all of us. But when we read 54 Isaiah, somehow we get it in our mind that this is just strictly for the nation of Israel. But here's the things that brought this to my light. One of our favorite scriptures that we use is, No weapon that's formed against thee will, shall prosper. And all of us have at some point in time heard that or we've quoted it ourselves and we've claimed that promise. Well, if you're going to do that uh, and you're going to say that, that maybe this scripture is just literally for Israel, then you need to go to 53 Isaiah and say it's just for Israel. It's not for us. Because Isaiah is prophesying the coming of a Messiah 700 years prior to his coming. And he's coming not only for Israel, but he says in those writings that he's coming also for the Gentiles. Now, when you read Isaiah 54, and I've preached this, uh, this thing a lot of times in church growth. You, you start preaching about verse 2 of this, and we'll begin reading with verse 1. But he says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst, didst not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou that didst not travail with child, for more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. Now, when I read that scripture, I say, well, that, that, that certainly doesn't really apply to me because I have five children. 
the, the, the womb that carried those five children has all birthed healthy babies. But when I read this place in verse 2 of enlarging the place, I begin to say, God's speaking to me. So I want you to take these scriptures literally that they're not only just written for Israel, but they're written for God's church. The righteous, the heritage of the righteous. He said, enlarge the place of thy tent and, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thy habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. I believe God spoke to me this week concerning this one group of scriptures right here to share with you tonight something that I believe that we oftentimes don't take advantage of. He says, enlarge the place uh, uh, of the tent, of thy tent. Now, literally that to me says make more capacity than you currently have. Now, we've taken it before to mean it's time for the church to add a building. You know, it's time for us to grow. But I want to take it tonight. This is a, a way of God saying to His righteous heritage, it's time for you to grow in your spiritual life. Increase or enlarge the place of thy tent. The place that's going to be the habitation. You know, one of the great, great things that I, I preached many years ago is, are you an ark builder? Noah built an ark. But we all miss something about the ark of the covenant. It housed the presence of God. So when you say, are you an ark builder? People automatically think you're building a, an ark, sea voyage ark that will house, house animals and the heritage is to come. But if you talk about the Ark of the Covenant and you say, you know, we need to understand that that's a place where the presence of God. Are you an Ark builder? Are you, are you one that's building a place for God? If you enlarge the place of the habitation by stretching forth your tent, spiritually that means you make room for more of God. Um, someone said to me tonight, I want to become a Jesus addict like I once was. Do you know that's, uh, that's not a bad thing to do? Get up every day of your life saying, I'm going to go deeper in Jesus than I've ever been before. I think what happens to a lot of us in our spiritual lives are we become shallow because we, we get saved, we get satisfied. You, you see, something brings you to Christ. In my situation, I was miserable. I needed something. I had a, a, a void that was lacking in my life, and I needed something to fill that space. And so I embraced Jesus. I was miserable. I was hurting, and I didn't know how to fix it myself. Well, Jesus came into my life, and He fixed it. But it's easy after you get the fix to just relax. Instead of wanting more of Jesus... You know, I, I get excited when I see people get hungry for the things of God and, and people want to experience more of God. Uh, you know, uh, when, when we're talking and, and Pastor Brian and I get together, I, sometime I glean what he says. I'm like Sister DeVita. Sometime I listen to what he says and sometime I don't pay him any attention. But, but you, you know, when he says to me things like, you know, the way to, the way to, the way to do it is to just keep preaching the Word. You know, just keep giving them the Word. Don't... Don't stop. Don't back up. Just keep preaching the Word. And, and God will, will honor His Word. And so I, I got to thinking about, you know, in, in trying to 
trying to expand the place that I am, trying to grow more in Christ. The only thing that's going to grow me more in Christ is the more time I spend in this Word and the more time I spend in prayer and the more time that I'm, I'm conscious that I need more of Jesus than I had yesterday. Then I love this part about he says, not only are we to enlarge the place of the tent, but he said, and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation, spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes. You see, your walk with Christ is going to be dependent on how much of God you put on the inside of you. How much are you willing to let God come into your life and fulfill the Word of God in your life? You, you see, if this is a perpetual covenant to, to Israel, and I believe it is, He's saying there's going to come a time that you're going to break forth as a nation. He's saying that, that He has something in store for this great nation of Israel. And when He starts saying no weapon formed against you is going to prosper, you need to hear what God's saying. When He promised Israel He would bless those that blessed them, He would curse those that cursed them. He's saying to His church, you need to not only expand or enlarge the place of the tent, but you need to strengthen your stakes. You need to lengthen the cords. You need to get ready for God to do something in your life. When, when we were going, when the few times that Karen and I went to, to Brownsville to revival, you know, to begin with, we didn't have to stand in line. We were pastors and we just got to sit on the platform. And so they would just escort us right on in. We'd go right on up on the platform. And the longer the revival went, the more you had to, to tolerate. We finally didn't get to sit on the platform. And then the, the lines would form in the afternoons and people went in with great expectation for God to do something. If you lined up out here at 6 o'clock on Sunday mornings, by the time that we, and we would probably open the doors before a quarter after 10, but we would, we would find out that people that came expecting would receive from God because they just made a room by strengthening the, 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 the stakes and lengthening the cords. In your life, I know that you're not going to come at 6 o'clock in the morning on Sunday mornings in a lineup. I know you're not going to do that. I, I said one time, church that I pastored, I said, I wish Benny Hinn's bus would break down out in front of this place and whew, he'd blow on some of these people because he wouldn't blow these people down. They're not going to fall. The Holy Ghost can't even knock them down. I mean, I know Benny Hinn's not going to blow them down. He's not going to wave his coat at them and knock them down. And, and when you were at Brownsville and people, would, they would say, more fire, more fire. And people would say, you know, they were getting more. Well, you know, they weren't giving you more by saying more fire. Creflo Dollar says more money. The only one getting more money is Creflo Dollar. You say more fire, more fire, more fire. You, you know, you can say bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord, bless him, Lord. And the man that's preaching the gospel will say to you, stop saying bless me. You get some of it. But I believe it's time the church get hungry for more of Jesus than we've had in our lives. And to do that, we're going to have to have something happen to us. We're going to have to come with expectancy. We're going to have to come with our, with our stakes strengthened and our cords lengthened to where we are able to take more of Jesus than we've ever taken before. I said, someone recently was talking to me about why people fall out. And I said, well, you know, you think about the Roman soldiers. They fell as dead men when Jesus came out of that grave. Because they could not stand the power of God. John on the Isle of Patmos was so consumed with what he heard and what he saw, he fell as a dead man, he said. Well, you know, if, if you don't have a lot of Jesus in you, you can't stand much of the power of God. It would kill you. Literally, you would die a physical death 
if God just really zapped you one time, you would die. You know, think about Moses not even being able to look on the face of God because he would die. Literally, that's how powerful God is. And if the church wants something from Jesus, if we really want a move of God, then we've got to prepare ourselves for that move of God. Go with the scripture with me and watch where he's going to take us. He said, For thou shalt break forth, verse 3, on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Now, I believe generations are promised in a perpetual covenant that God made with Israel. I believe God has a plan for that nation. And I believe they are going to just spring forth on the right hand and on the left. I believe literally these scriptures are going to be fulfilled. And he, when he said, Thy seed shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Have you ever, you ever think about in your own, your own family's life? I know some of us have family members that are not saved. I, I remember our family and... Uh, if I told you the story of our family, you would, you would say, really, that's, that's, kind of a, that's kind of an unusual way that happens. Our family has had a heritage of serving God. In my particular family, we didn't, we didn't follow that heritage. My uncle, my great uncle, many of my family members, my cousins' stuff, have been preachers. Families have served Christ. My mom and dad did not take us to church. They allowed people in the community to take us to church. They never hindered us going to church. But when their children started being saved, my mom and dad got saved. And then our, our children's children started getting saved. And, and God began to work in our little group and our little six kids, my mom and dad. God began to work in our family. And it's a unique thing to watch how God can take a family and change it. You, you see here when the writer of, of, of the book of Isaiah, Isaiah himself, the prophet, when he said that the desolate cities would be inhabited, I believe there's a habitation of God. I believe it's a, a, really a move of God that's going to come into families. And I believe it's going to happen right here in our, in our church family. You're going to begin to see things change. You're going to begin to see things happen. Uh, we, we are not singling people out. But I've, I've, I've seen it in my own eye when, when God showed me a vision of our church family. I saw those that were freaks coming in. I mean, literally people that you, you wouldn't think would ever be in church. And listen, the freaks that I believe God's going to send in are not just, not just people that are freaks, freaks. But I think we're going to see the unusual happen. And it's going to entail people that we would never have thought would have ever bowed their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we've seen some men over the last few years, 10, 15 years ago, if you'd have said to me they're going to be in church, I'd have said there's no way, no way possible that God could ever change their life. I mean, I would have doubted God's ability that much to done something with the, they were They were not nice people, but God's changed them. And so now... I'm saying to you, I believe God's going to send us more of those kind of people. Maybe even more freakier than they are if there's such a thing. And, and people that are scarred from their life. You know, there's an old song that, that I love dearly. And, and if I could ever get brave enough and find the soundtrack to it, I would sing it. And the song is, I want to spend my life mending broken people. 
I believe that's who we are as a church. I believe God has set this church apart to take those that are less fortunate and just reach out to them and to love them right where they are, not to stand in judgment of them, but to stand in praise and honor to the Lord Jesus Christ that God is big enough to save whosoever walks through that back door. And if they don't walk through that back door, God's big enough to take us into the highways and the hedges and find them and win them to Christ and bring them to the Lord Jesus. Because I believe that God wants us to take desolate cities, literally our, our, our community, and win them to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to take you further with this. There's only 17 verses, so I'm not going to kill you with this one. He said, Fear not, in verse 4, for thou shalt be, not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt uh, not be put to shame, for thou shalt forget the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. Because you were once a desolate city, don't be ashamed of that. Because you've never moved with God. Listen, I, I don't know if you really ever keep up with statistics. I look at numbers every week. Brother Butch gives me a report. Every Sunday morning after church, I get a report on how many were here. I record that on my calendar. I've done it for years. About once a month, he gives me a report on Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. And I get a number. And we can look at it. Months gone by, we can look at. I've just done this recently. I went back to far back as 2013 and came all the way up to this year. Month by month, I've got it in a calendar, and I can show you what the church has done. We've we just kind of done, you know, this number. We just kind of, you know, play along. But this morning, we had 50 regular people out. I told Sister Karen probably 30. I got here tonight, and I counted up. We had 50 regular people out. Now, we had other people that or some timers that were not here this morning. If we would pack everybody in here, the 171 I told you on roll, or, or that we count, really are not all. There's people that just come, you know, occasionally, that we don't have on our roll. Visitors that come through our doors. We've had, you know, I just went through our stack of visitors for this year, and we've had a stack of visitors. I mean, a lot of people came. Some of them are out of town. They don't live here. Some of them God's bringing to us. They come about... Once or twice a quarter, they come over here from Louisiana and, and they're, they've got a place to stay here. And they come, when they come, they bring their tithe with them. And when they move over here, they're going to be a part of our church family. We don't have them on there. But we have a massive amount of people that just come in and maybe a lot of them don't even fill out visitor's cards. If they get a visitor's card, they don't turn it back in. But if you took, if you took what could be possible on any given Sunday morning to happen in this place, there would not be room for you to sit. That's how God has brought the desolate to us. Now, someone recently mentioned to me, what are you going to do about growing the church? I'm not going to do anything about growing the church. I'm going to stay out of this thing. I'm going to let God grow the church. I keep numbers, but numbers don't mean anything to the kingdom. If, if God expands uh, the, the cities that are desolate, if He brings people to us... So be it. You know, we'll do whatever's got to be done to accommodate those people. But, you know, I would surprise you if I told you what they tell me we can do in here. We're supposed to be able to seat another 200 people in this sanctuary and what we've got in here right now for seats. So I'm not, you know, we're not, we're not near about to our capacity yet. I and mean, we're not even, if we had everybody here, we're not even 50% yet. And so don't, don't sweat the small stuff. 
Don't worry. I've had, I pastored church. I, I was so discouraged the morning that we had about 95 people there and we could seat about 75. And one little lady said to another lady in my presence, preacher needs to realize we don't want this big a church. I'll tell you how big a church God wants. He wants whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. He wants the whole world. Anybody that, anybody that's, that is breathing is a candidate for God to save. And when he talks about here, uh, he talks about making the desolate cities to be inhabited. I believe God's wanting to do something. And when he says you're not going to be ashamed of thy youth, whatever we've had in the past, if we've not been able to produce in the past, get ready. We're get, fixing to get an opportunity to produce in the future. I believe God's going to do that for us. In verse 5, he said, For thy maker is thine husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. You see, God's not just a, he's not just a God to those that know him. Sometimes we forget that. You know, God loves the unsaved just as much as He loves the saved. God loves Israel. He loves Israel. And some people, some Christians don't even believe that God loves Israel. God loves Israel. This is a perpetual covenant to them. But don't think that God loves you any less. You know, I used to have people make me think that God loved Israel more than He loved the Gentiles. No, Jesus Christ died for all men. And so when we start thinking about God being a God to the whole earth, think about this. God is a God to the kids. God is a God to the adults. Right now, Pastor Ben, how many, how many youth do you think we have in our church family right now? How many youth do you think we have? I'm going to shock you. How many do you think we got? Total or regular? Total from the grave, from the cradle till they graduate from school. How many do you think we got? Probably close to 50. 50. You got 50-plus. That's what you got. And it just amazes me how we don't realize that. We don't realize the potential that God has here. Uh, you know, being a God to the kids just like He's a God to the, the adults. Uh, you know, we, we can see things happen in our kids' lives. Sister Beth in that children's church has produced us more candidates for water baptism because God has won those kids to Jesus. Some of these, some of these kids in here tonight that are teenagers, some that have gone on to, to college and gone on with their families, were one right there in children's churches that we baptized in this water up here. And the reason for that was because God is growing His church and we don't have to be ashamed of the youth and we don't have to be ashamed of the adults that come to church here because God is doing something supernatural and the whole earth is going to be called His because He's the God of the whole earth. And then He says this, For the Lord hath called thee, as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit, and as a wife of youth, uh, when thou wast refused, saith God. See, God's a God to the whole package. You know, I, uh, I've often wondered about uh, people's lives, and I'm, I'm going to put Jensen on the spot tonight. I want Jensen to begin working on his testimony. I want him to share the miracles that God has, has done in his life. You, you see, when, when he's about four years old, we baptized him in water. And some people in church actually thought we were a little quick. He was as saved at four as I was at 23. How did I know that? Because I knew that he had confessed Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Don't discount these kids. 
Don't, don't be ashamed of your youth. Don't be ashamed of your age is what, what God is saying. Anybody that can come to Jesus is who we need to be looking for. Anybody that can serve Jesus. Because I believe that God has set us up for our lives to be a testimony to Him. And if, if, if I could get Jensen to do it and tell you about the times in his life when, when he almost thought his life was, was ruined. Ruined and how God delivered him out of it. Some of you know the story, how God brought him through that thing. And, and you know, when he started the college, we, we thought he's going to go to uh, this major university and, and he's really going to get a chance in life because that's what he wants to do with music. And, and that didn't seem to work out because of the tragedy that happened in his life. And so he ended up going to a junior college and starting his musical career there and, and how God brought a... a percussionist uh, instructor. That's his jazz instructor. He's a percussionist. And how this guy's taken Jensen under his wings. He's opened him avenues that Jensen never would have had had he have gone off to the big college. And, and literally, Jensen sits up here with us. He plays with Pastor David. He gets a few accolades from his dad, maybe from Pastor David. And some of you sometime will go by and talk about it. But listen, he is a professional musician tonight. He's played with the big boys. And, and he has no, nothing to say except that God made it possible even through the tragedies of his life. God has set every one of us up to do something in our life. And, and oftentimes we, we think God has just failed us. We don't think God... You know, why would, why would the Scots stop off over here? Because God set them up. God set them up. You see, if you knew the whole story how he got here to start with, I called somebody else. And they said, have you considered, you know, it's like God bragging on Job to the devil. Have you, have you thought about my servant Job? And the guy said, have you, what about Pastor Brian or Brother Brian? Have you thought about Brother Brian? I didn't, who's Brother Brian? He said, you know, the guy that's underneath the prayer shawl. I said, the freaky guy that lays up there. You know, there were times we went over there, I never even saw his face. He was up there in the altar praying the whole time I was preaching, laying over there. You talking about the freaky guy underneath the thing? Yeah, so, and then I call him, and we get, I get his number on Facebook, or bump him on Facebook and ask him to give me a call. And that's the way we met. That's the way we got together. I never really talked to Pastor Brian. I may have shook his hand at some point in time over there at church, but I never really met him. But here God brought him in. His wife's not even part of the package because she's not even here. And, and here she shows up. How God brings people to your life. I think about some of you, how God brought you to us. You know, what were you, what were you thinking when you came here? Well, couldn't you find a church? I mean, were you that desperate to come, you know, to Victoria's Life Worship Center? I'm just kind of teasing because I know that God has great things for you. That's reason you came here. But, but I think about, I think about sometime we, we think about, uh, you know, people that were refused, people that, that nobody else wanted. You know, I'm the pastor that, that couldn't, get a, couldn't get a church, couldn't get a congregation. The, the district, the district hoorah said, why don't you just teach Sunday school class? Well, God didn't call me to teach a Sunday school class. He called me to pastor. But I didn't need them to give me a church to pastor. God wanted to raise up a church. And so he took a guy that didn't know any better, that married a woman that sure didn't know any better. 
And she encouraged that guy and that guy encouraged himself and other people encouraged that guy and people started giving me money and all of a sudden, boom, God just out of nothing brought life to a church. You know, why would God take those that have been refused and use them? That's who Israel is. They've been refused. They've been beaten. If you look at the small nation of Israel, you wonder how they've even existed all these thousands of years. There's nothing there. You know, it's smaller than most of our states in the United States. And, and, and yet they're a powerhouse in the world. And, and literally nations tremble when they think about God's people, Israel. Well, the devil's doing the same thing when he looks at you. And he starts saying, oh my, I wish I hadn't a mess with those folks over there. I wish I'd left them alone and not bothered them. And then I see... He says in verse 7, For a small moment have I forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. I used to listen to a, a lot of, of Jewish broadcast in, at one point in time, and I still get stuff from a lot of Jewish organizations, but at one point in time, the Jews were going back to the homeland in masses. They were being dumped out of countries and they were trying to get back into little tiny Israel. Karen and I were down in uh, South Florida. I don't remember if we were in Orlando or where we were. We went to a mall and there's some people in there selling, um, they're selling perfumes and oils and stuff and they're a bunch of Jewish students. And I, I, I just, you know, I've always, since I've been a Christian especially, I've always loved the Jews. And so I just... While Karen was shopping, I go over and start talking to this young Jewish boy. And of course, when you ask a Jew if he's, a, if he's really a Jew, they're really Jews. I mean, they don't, they don't put any bones about it. They're Jews. They're proud of being Jews. But most of them are not religious Jews. They're national Jews. They're just Jews by birth. And, and this kid, when we started talking, I just kind of you know, let him know we're like, you know, we're like brothers. And he's like, uh, what are you talking about? And we're, we're like, you and I are like brothers because we, we serve the same God. Well, then he wants to, he, he can look at me and tell I'm not a Jew. Who, who in your family is Jewish? And I said, Jesus is Jewish. And he looked at me and he said, do you believe in Jesus? Well, sure I believe in Jesus, don't you? And of course, you know, you realize that a lot of Jews don't, they're not still accepting Messiah. <clears throat> well, listen. God said for a season, <laughs> I've cast you aside. I've just kind of ignored you. I've kind of let you just go your way and do what you want to do. He said, and so for a moment have I forsaken thee. But I love this part. With great mercies will I gather thee. It's going to be a great shaking <clears throat> Most of it is going to take place in the tribulation period and hopefully you won't be here to, to actually witness it. But there's going to be a great shaking of Israel coming back to the Father and they're going to come through Jesus. Don't you ever think they're not. They're going to cry out Messiah to come and get them. But he says in verse 8, In a little wrath have I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord. Thy Redeemer. Now, remember, I'm trying to apply this to my own life, and I'm trying to apply it to us as a as the righteous heritage of God. You know, you may feel like God's forsaken you and walked away from you. 
I don't, I don't think I would ever say that I could tell you that God ever really walked away from me, but there's times I've felt like that. There's times I've gone through hurts and, and hardships and, I'm, you know, this, you know, like the, the little kid saying, why, 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 you know? And maybe it's even a squalling, why, 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 why? But I've I felt like God's forsaken me. I felt like He's left me, and I realize now that He didn't. But I love this when He says, With everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. I love that part. God is merciful to us Amen. as a people. We, we don't deserve, even though we call ourselves Christians, and, and I'm praying that we really are Christians, and I believe that we really are. But even though we're Christians, we still don't feel like we deserve what we've gotten. I don't think I've done anything, anything to deserve what Christ has paid for me. I, I feel like I'm sometimes... Brother Jimmy used to make me think that I ought to back up to the desk when I work for them to get my paycheck. You know, not come face on because you certainly didn't deserve it. That's the way I'm about my salvation. I, God, I, I'm embarrassed to even look at you if, if I try to do it myself. I know that I can't, and I know you can't, and I know that we don't think we can. So our heads are not too swollen because we still realize that God's in charge. He's our Redeemer. In verse 9, he said, For this is the waters of Noah, for this is as the waters of Noah unto me, for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee, neither shall the, thy co the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. I was reading commentary on this, and when he talks here in verse um, 10, he said, For the mountains shall be depart, and the hills be removed. One of the commentaries is an old Bible said you would never see the mountains and the hills removed. That was God's promise. And now we hear that if there's a tsunami comes into the west coast of, of the United States, that it'll probably remove everything hundreds of miles over, even the mountains and even, even the, the, the hills. But the thought here that was given is God's sure in His tender mercy to to hold on to you and to never do anything but to bring his peace to you because he is going to have his mercy on us. So he says here, uh, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. There's nothing that will ever break the kindness of God to his righteous heritage, whether it's Israel or whether it's you. In verse 11, he said, O thou afflicted, tossed with a tempest, and not comforted, behold, I will lay thy stones with fair colors and lay the foundations with sapphires. And I will make thy windows of asgate and thy gates of carbuncles and all thy borders of pleasant stones. And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord and great shall be the peace of thy children. I thought about this week when, when I was reading this uh, a lady at, in Laurel Hill had posted on her Facebook page this scripture, verse 13. And uh, people just began to respond to that, that God was going to take their heritage, their children, and uh, great would be the peace 
or shall be the peace of thy children, uh, because thy children shall be taught of the Lord. And, and she was using that as a promise from God for her children, for her grandchildren. And people just jumped on that thing. And I said, I take this as a confirmation that I'm supposed to share this with our congregation. And I thanked her for sharing it. But when I got to thinking about this, you know, how many parents and how many grandparents there are that don't ever think God's going to be able to teach their children the ways of the Lord and how many of our parents and grandparents don't ever think there's going to be peace in our children's life? I sometimes get discouraged. I, you know, I've, uh, I've raised uh, all of my children in church. David was about two months old when I got saved. And Chris was, a, you know, not even maybe, maybe a year and a half old when I got saved. But I've raised them all in church. I've been fortunate to have a several of my grandchildren in church with us. My brothers, at one point in time, I had uh, four brothers that I pastored. Uh, my sister, I never had the opportunity to pastor her. She did tell me not long ago that she wanted me to preach her funeral when she died, but she lived in another city, so I didn't get to pastor her, but I pastored four of my brothers at one time, and, and it was a challenge to pastor your family. It really is a, it's a challenge to pastor your family because, you know, they know who you are. Your children, your, your brothers, your sisters. But you know, sometimes we, we just give up on our families. We just, we're afraid that, that God couldn't, couldn't save them. We had, a, we had a great family. I don't want you to ever think we, we fought. Uh, I got tickled at one of our kids this morning. He told me that his brother had been beating him in the head. And uh, he said, he bullies me, and his brother said, it's because of the way he does, you know. And I thought about them brothers of mine bullied me, beat me in the head. But, but you know, we had a brother that was older than us. Some of you remember our brother Pete. That was a, he was a challenge within himself. He was the black sheep of the family. You know, he was an alcoholic. Uh, Pete lived by the fringes. You know, he wouldn't, if, if he decided to move, he just left everything. He just got his clothes and out the door he'd go. He, he was married to a lady and he decided that, she wouldn't do what he told him to do. He called me on the Saturday morning to come get him. And I got over there. said, where are we going? I'm no, no, I'm not staying here. She's not doing what I'm telling her to do. I'm not staying here. And uh, he, he had his rods and his reels and his two pair of pants and two shirts in his hand. He was moving. He's leaving. Just leave everything. Walk off and leave it. Well, 1988, Pete had been to my house numerous times. He'd been, I'm sure, to... Brother Jimmy's sister Judy's house many times. Been to my mom and dad's house more than he'd been to our house. But I've sat up with him at night, drank coffee with him, trying to sober him up, trying to tell him about Jesus. He just, he was hard-headed. He drank, smoked, crust, you name it, he did it. 1988, he bowed at my knees, or bowed his knees in front of me, and he gave his life to Jesus. He stopped drinking, alcoholic for years. Stopped smoking, smoked for years cussed, he was in the, in the Navy, cussed like a sailor, stopped all of that. Now, he had some difficulties in his life. He still, he still had some things. We sometimes get on to him and fuss at him. But when he died, Sister Judy and Brother Jimmy had taken him and put him behind their house in a, in, in a place they had. They made him an apartment. And, and he lived there on their property. And Sister Judy began to handle his finances. He'd never had anything. He'd just walk off and leave it. 
And Sister Judy began to handle his finances, and she began to teach him to tithe. And when special things come along, she'd just look at him and say, Pete, how much do you want to give? She didn't ask him if he wanted to, how much do you want to give? And so she took care of him. And when he died, he wasn't a burden to us because he had provided for us to take care of his final arrangements. Only because of the grace of God and Sister Judy and Brother Jimmy taking care of him. But my point to you is this. I don't know who you've got in your family that you think God can't. God can. And God will do it when you think it's not going to happen. But friend, listen to me. Don't ever give up on your family. Don't ever give up on the heritage that God's given you. God's going to do some greater things in your life than He's ever done before because of the covenant He's made with you as a child of God, of being the righteous of His. And He said to you that He's going to, he's going to make this thing happen. Your children are going to be taught of the Lord, and, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Then He says in verse 14, "...in righteousness..." shall thou be established, for thou shalt be uh, far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near thee. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Boy, that's a promise that I, that I cherish and I hold on to. Because I, I've had situations where... Um, literally, I thought people were going to overcome me. I literally have. I've had church people I thought were going to destroy me. And God said, you don't raise a hand. You don't do anything. You keep your mouth shut. You just go on. You just serve me. You just live for me. I'll take care of all that. And then I, I love this last part. And, and I, I have a friend that, that I'm going to share this scripture with tomorrow. He said, behold, I have created the smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. I saith the Lord. Now, when I read this, I want to read it to you, and I want you to understand the way God's speaking to me with this. My friend's in a situation that's going to involve some charges being brought against a family member, and it's going to end up in a trial. And it's nasty. It's really nasty. But they've done everything that they can do to correct the situation. But here's what God said. And I read this in several different translations this week to try to get exactly what God wanted me to say to him. He said, No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. One of the translations says, When they take you in the courtroom, I will vindicate you. Listen to me, folk. Whatever is coming against you, God will vindicate you. No weapon that's ever been formed against you will prosper. And, and here's where I get the, that is for us. He said, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Not just to the nation of Israel. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. So don't you ever, don't you ever get to the place in your life where you don't think there's a perpetual covenant that God's made with you as his child. When you said yes to Jesus, he put you in this covenant. You're there. 
Israel is there because they're God's chosen people and He made a promise to them. He brought you into that promise when He saved you. You have the same rights as Israel has because you're a child of God. You've been adopted into the family of God. And, and God has brought you in. And because Israel has rejected, God's made provision for you. Now Israel's going to come back and receive Him. But until they do, we're just going to enjoy the heritage of the righteous. That's who we are.